find your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. I believe I'm on. There we go. Book of Jonah. When you find Jonah, we'll go ahead and stand. We'll read tonight. Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one. We find that the word of the Lord in verse one came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down unto it. To go within the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind unto the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So that the ship was like to be broken. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your grace. God, help us, Lord, that we put aside all the worries of the week to come, Lord. Be focused in. On your word tonight, Lord, I pray that you would keep those who are out and about because of sickness, Lord, keep them them safe and bring them back to us healthy. Ask in your name, amen. You may be seated. I love the book of Jonah, but there's many questions I have. Like, have you ever wondered what exactly Jonah paid for his last minute vacation to Tarshish? A little bit louder. How about now? All right. I can talk louder. Does the mic work? Sweet. You ever wonder what what Jonah paid for his last minute vacation to Tarshish? Or why God didn't just send someone else? No, God was very purposeful in how he chose and then how he pursued Jonah. Even though Jonah wanted nothing to do with God's will or God's uh, salvation granted toward those at Nineveh. The story of Jonah is so often viewed as Jonah running from God, which is true. But in reality, it's more so a tale and a recording of God's pursuit of his disgruntled servant. We find that, that Jonah is seen as the one running and God therefore must be the one who is in pursuit of those that he loves. And even though the whole story points toward Nineveh, from chapter to chapter it is God after Jonah. Nineveh is simply a side bonus. We see here that if you look at the the record from God's position as he pursues Jonah, tonight we will just dwell on the first few verses of Jonah, but I think... If we see this account as God does, we will see that despite Jonah's best efforts, God never gave up on him. So let's start here in verse 1. We're just going to go through a few verses and we're done for the evening. But I want to focus on God's pursuit of his servant Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Almighty, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. God is as doing as he has done in many occasions, calling on his servant, calling on his man to get himself up and to go do a job that God has both prepared him for and both uh, given him the tools needed and the funds to get where he's going. Something that I, I, I found fantastic 
in this account is that Jonah's trip to Nineveh was more than likely covered by God. God would have provided him the funds to go to Nineveh. God would have provided him the, the strength needed for the journey. God would have provided him everything he needed because where God guides, he provides. We believe that. And then when God called Jonah and said, go to Nineveh, the simple purpose was their wickedness was so great, was so bad that God was going to destroy them, but he was giving them a second chance by calling Jonah. And although unlike other cases where God's man was given directive, Jonah's response was, no, not doing this. Whereas we see many faithful men of God, we find Jonah given a, a clear picture of what he is to do. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish, the exact opposite side of where God told him to go. You see, we find point one that God's command doesn't fit Jonah's desire. God's command to go to Nineveh doesn't fit Jonah's desire to go. See, Jonah had a problem with Nineveh. It wasn't because they were wicked. Everyone knew that. It wasn't because they were Gentiles. Everyone knew that. It wasn't because he was a Jew. No, the simple fact was Jonah didn't want to. And therefore he told God, no. Your will does not fit my desire. We find him receiving a call from God to go and to preach to Nineveh because of their need to repent. Notice that all we see is God's, he says it. He doesn't warn Jonah how wicked they are. He doesn't warn, them, warn him to be careful. God simply commanded, go. This gives the idea that God has set the path and provided the need for the journey already. But still, Jonah fled. Turns out Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach, so instead we find him buying with his own money his own ticket to a place called Tarshish. Although the cost couldn't have been cheap, Jonah did not yet understand how expensive this detour of a trip would wind up being. But we find that God's pursuit of his servant doesn't just stop there. So often we, we, we have this Jonah mentality that if God calls and we just say no, well, God will go away. I can't tell you how many times as a new homeowner I hear a knock at my door and I'm thinking, they'll go away. And I'm hoping they'll go away. I don't care what they're selling. I don't care who they're, My lawn could be on fire. Okay, I'll figure it out. Just don't knock at my door. I don't know. Of all, of all, of all the, 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 the stranger danger drilled into me, all the don't answer the door, you're going to get sold something mentality, when someone knocks on my door, I will look through that hole. And if I don't know them, I'm not answering. You wish they just, just go away and leave you alone. I love the age of the cell phone. See, I was, I was present when it went from, from rotary dial to cell phones. There was a couple of things between, but we don't talk about those. And I, I'm blessed to have a phone where it says scam likely. I'm like, Haha, hang up on that one. Or it just shows a number from California or New Mexico or Gerald Grunewald. And I just ignore it. Any kind of spam that comes my way, I just kind of ignore it. <laughs> I, we're blessed to live in a world where if we don't know the person, they'll either leave a voicemail or text us. And that's one of the only ways to get someone to call you back nowadays. We have... A, a blessing to be able to know what's coming and know what's going to be there. But that leads to this mentality of, oh, they'll either go away or they'll call back. That's not how God works. 
<laughs> we have this mentality of, that, 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 that Jonah had that God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, nope, I'm going to hop on my vacation to Tarshish. I don't even know what Tarshish would have been like that time of the year. He didn't care. He didn't matter. It was the opposite direction. So he paid for his own fare. He told God, I'm good. Find someone else. He left and God did not give up on Jonah. But Jonah rose to flee in a Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We look at that with hilarity right now. But in reality, so often we do that of our own accord. Where God calls and we just, ah, sorry God, I'm going to put you on silent. And hope you don't call back. That happens. Because number two, we find that God's pursuit wasn't in Jonah's plan. Jonah didn't prepare for God to go after him. You'll find that looking here inside of verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind unto the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Number one, we know that if Jonah knew God was going to chase him, the Lord who controls the skies, the earth, and the seas, he wouldn't have gone by air, land, or sea. But instead, he believed that God was going to leave him alone. He hopped on a boat. God sent a wind. God sent a tempest in the sea and caused a storm. Then the mariners were afraid. And they cried every man unto his little G God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten, uh, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the side of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. He hopped on a boat, put God on silent and went to bed. He wasn't expecting a tempest. He wasn't expecting a storm. He wasn't expecting God to say, actually, Jonah, you're going to be doing this. I'm after you. Because so often those who reject God don't expect God to try again. And oftentimes they hope he won't. You see folks who, who leave God's will purposely, folks who leave God's desires, they get out of church, they get away from the Bible, and they hope God will just leave them alone that's not who our Heavenly Father is. He's chasing after Jonah. He is in pursuit of Jonah. We see that Jonah is leaving his journey away from God. He lays down and takes a nap, not, for, not with one second thought that God would pursue him. But God wasn't done with Jonah and sent a great storm. And we see Jonah wasn't expecting God. When the captain has to wake Jonah up to beg for his help to the crew to survive this, Jonah is taken aback. He wakes up to a storm of an angry heavenly father wishing his servant to obey his will, chastising and chastening him. And then we see in verse 7, And they said, Every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. This is where it kind of gets a clearer picture of Jonah's rotten attitude toward God. Then they said, so it says in verse 7, they cast lots, and, and uh, sorry, so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Notice this, Jonah is keeping pretty hush-hush that he's the problem here. He now knows God's after him. He didn't wake up from the captain and shake him, and he go, huh, this wasn't the weather forecast. No, he, he knew right then and there, oh, I'm being pursued. I'm being chased. This is God's doing. He knew very well and good that God was the one who was chasing him. But it took them casting lots by chance and it falling upon Jonah. For then said they unto him, in verse 8, 
We pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence cometh thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? Hey, tell us everything, guy. Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you coming from? Who do you serve? Why is this happening? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who hath made the sea and the dry land. And we see something in verse 10 that we don't see in the entire book of Jonah. And were the, then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. See, Jonah held God in a lower standard than sailors on a boat in the middle of the sea. We find that God's, God's command may not have fit Jonah's desire, and, but God still pursued. But then we find the second affront of Jonah is that God was feared by sailors instead of his servant. Jonah was willing to keep quiet. <clears throat> he was willing to not say a word. He was willing to watch those around him suffer for his doing because he wasn't willing to admit that it was his fault. Why couldn't God just leave Jonah alone? That's what he's thinking right now. After Jonah answered the captain's question, it is the sailors who are fearful, not God's fleeing servant. So often it is that those around us are the ones that feel the effects of our own disobedience. Take a pause here for a second just to remind us. Mother, father, child of God, leader of your home, someone involved in this church, your sin doesn't just affect you. This isn't your own private show where, oh, it's just something I do. It can't affect anyone else. It will tear apart every living thing around you. Sin does not respect boundaries. Sin does not respect. And so often we see churches that are powerless with the Holy Spirit because they, are, they are, are, are finding themselves crippled by a few people who will not give up their sin, who will not give their pride up, but would rather spend their lives doing what they want and acting out a show okay with the carnage it causes around them. Jonah was so unwilling to serve God that he had no problem seeing those in this boat go down because of his sin. That's a classic example, but so often we forget that when we find ourselves in our private time. When we find ourselves in, in, in our own me time. We forget that everything we do has a consequence. You've heard the saying about apples. One bad apple... Runs a good bunch. The same goes with the church of God. We are a body. I don't know about you. But one of the blessings of life is, is having a heavenly father who will point out your sin so that you can get rid of it. One of the, the, the blessings of life is having someone as a life partner, someone as a mirror for your life, as the Holy Spirit does, that shows you, hey, this needs to get fixed. Because so often we're willing to ignore issues. A mechanic once said to his friend, I can fix your car, 
for $2.50 or $2,000. And the guy says, well, what's the difference? He goes, electrical tape over your check engine light or the problem. And that's so true. We're like, ah, there's no problem here. Everything's good. Jonah feared God less and respected God less than the very sailors around him. The book of Jonah intrigues me so much because it leaves so much out. I want to follow the lives of these sailors. How did that affect them? Because we know what happens. They take Jonah and they throw him off the boat and then calm seas. Can you imagine that story? Forget the stories about deep sea monsters. Somebody somewhere got to Tarshish and was like, guys, I have a story for you. This guy came on our boat, caused a big ruckus. We threw him off. No ruckus. I want to follow their lives. I want to follow the lives of Nineveh after the revival. But this isn't about that. It's about God's pursuit of his servant. So we find that, that, that there was a fear above the fear of Jonah, we find that God's prophet preferred death to obedience. That's how low Jonah had, had dug himself into the stubborn pursuit of leave me alone. Because then they asked him, they say, hey, then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was temptuous. Verse 12, and he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Now, I do not believe that was God's intended purpose. I do not believe that God wanted Jonah to jump ship. I believe God would have preferred if Jonah repented right then and there. Because if he said, hey guys, we need to take a detour to Nineveh. Those sailors would not have had a problem obeying that order. After they just saw what God did, they'd have been like, cool, detour it is. They just lost all their cargo. What are they going to haul to Tarshish? I believe that is what God's perfect plan was, but instead we see God's permissible will where Jonah says, actually, I'm not repenting. Just throw me over. He would rather perish than tell God yes. When asked what, he sh what should be done, when asked what should be done to appease God's chastening, Jonah told them to toss him overboard. This would surely be the death of him, but he preferred that over repenting and obeying. However, God already had a plan to secure his wayward servant. You know, we find ourselves in this Jonah mentality where we're so willing to avoid God's will that we'll dig ourselves as deep as needed in our sin. We find ourselves given a task of God. And sometimes it's not even that hard of a task. It's just not something we want to do. And we find ourselves having this battle with our, 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 our inner life of, I don't want to. And we find, like we do with Ephesians and Galatians, that, that wrestling of the spirits. That wrestling and that fight inside of us. We find that, that Jonah mentality where we don't want to serve God, but God is in pursuit of the servants he loves. And guess what? He loves all of us. His love knows no end. He is chasing Jonah. 
And we see down the road, we see that Jonah spends time in the whale and he gets coughed onto the, the shore. He goes on to lead the greatest revival known to Bible history. A whole city, millions of people repenting. Yet Jonah's still bitter after that. See, Jonah, like all of us, find that we'd rather do our will than God's will. And we don't care what it costs to do our will. Now, we set up what we call obstacles in our life. We, we, we set up things that we can't overcome. God says, do, you say, but. God says, go, you say, eh, there's this thing holding me back. But where God is leading us, he's already paved a way. I would, again, love to know what it costs financially, what it cost Jonah for that ticket to Tarshish, because God already had his fare totally paid out and lined up to go to Nineveh. God would have provided him everything necessary, but Jonah had an obstruction. He had an obstacle that was his own pride, his own self. And so often in our lives, we have uh, obstructions that although we, we set them up, we claim that they are the problem and that they are the reason we can't do God's will. We, we find that there's an illustration of this. A recently licensed pilot was flying his private plane in a cloudy day. He was not very experienced on instrument landing. And when the control tower was uh, able to contact him to bring him in, he began to get panicky. And then a stern voice from the tower came up radio and said, You just obey the instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions. You just obey what, what you need to do. We'll take care of what's in your way. But too many Christians treat God as if he doesn't know their need. See, Jonah wasn't willing to trust that God will provide the way. He wasn't willing to trust that God would give um, the, the, the path needed for Nineveh to repent. He only cared about himself. Yes, he was prejudiced toward Nineveh. Yes, he had a problem with obeying God. But his, his issue wasn't anything to do with anyone but himself. And he drug everyone down around him wherever he went, causing issues, causing problems. And that's exactly how a rogue Christian is in the body of Christ. See, when, when, when we're running from God and he's chasing us, everything we bring upon ourselves affects all those around us. Someone once said that the best way to ruin your marriage is to put yourself before it. Another said, if you want to have a spirit-filled life, you must have an empty you So often we, we find that people don't want to follow God's will. Jonah's trip to Tarshish was a very costly fare indeed. It affected the health and safety of those around him. It put him out of his way over three days journey. But regardless of Jonah's actions and tantrums, God never gave up on Jonah. He chastened him, yes. He pursued him even. And he secured him a mode of transportation that Jonah could not escape. There's a couple of things I fear in life. Most of them are aquatic. But any animal that can swallow me up and I'm just there for as long as it wants to keep me, it's on the top five list. 
I don't fear much on land. I'll, I'll fight a polar bear. But you get me in that water. Mm-mm. Jonah, <clears throat> running from God, finds all of a sudden he gets thrown overboard. He believes that's the end of all his troubles. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice for the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. <clears throat> a school teacher asked his children, those who people who live in Britain are called what? And they go, British. And those who live in Scotland are called what? And they said, Scottish. And they asked him, and those who live in Wales are called what? And they said, Jonas. Mind of a child. I love it. Now, there are some that question whether the big fish is an, alle- an, an, an allegory or analogy. I believe it was actually a big fish. Whether a whale or not, I don't care. There was once a religious lady flying. She had a lot of traveling for her business, and she did a lot of flying, and flying made her very nervous. So she took take her Bible along with her to relax her during flight as she read them. After a while, she was on a flight, and sitting next to her was a, a renowned atheist, a man who hated God for everything he was and didn't believe he existed. And he looks over and he sees this, this, this traveler open up her Bible to read, and he kind of chuckles and kind of scoffs and just lets it go. And then finally he rolled over and said, you don't believe what you're reading, do you? And she said, of course I do. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. And he said, well, what about that guy who was swallowed by a big whale or a big fish? He goes, oh, Jonah? Yeah, I believe that. It's in the Bible. And he goes, oh, yeah? Well, how do you suppose he survived all that time inside of the whale? And she goes, I don't know. I'll probably ask him when I get to heaven. And the atheist goes, and what if he's not in heaven? She goes, well, you ask him. It doesn't matter how miraculous the, the story of the fish is. It doesn't matter how miraculous we view it. The whole point of the story is that God never gave up on Jonah, who continuously gave up on God. And even though it, it's an allegory of Christ, even though it's a picture, we look at it as the simple miracle that regardless of how far you run, regardless of how, how fast you think you are, God will never stop pursuing those he loves. So the question I have for you of, all of us face the same temptations as Jonah. God's call on our lives would be a call and a witness to all of those we encounter. But too often we buy ourselves a ticket to Tarshish, hoping that God will leave us alone to do what we will and to go where we wish. Are you tonight running from God? Just think about it. I know there's times in my life where I get a little bit far away and I realize real quick, oh, I'm running. <laughs> I, am, I am far away from where I need to be. Are you under the impression that your disobedience only affects you? We were married only for about two, two years or so. Went to a marriage conference inside of Missouri, Branson, Missouri. And I believe it was Brother Waterloo who was preaching that night. And he, he was preaching a session on the importance of protecting each other. 
and he looked at all the men in the room, and he made pretty, pretty good eye contact in this small room of men, and he said, you're the reason your marriage fails if you don't invest into it. And then he turned around and said, and your investment into your marriage is, happens the same time that you invest in your relationship with Christ. I have to say that our disobedience, it affects all those around us. If we're not investing inside of our, our spirit-filled life, if we're not investing inside of this body in a positive way, all we're doing is taking away from it and causing others to be hurt by our own sin-filled lives. Would you rather that God leave you alone? I'll be honest, there's times where I, I've run and I'm like, God, don't, don't take me back, please leave me alone. I think we all get to that point sometime in our life where we just, we're just done. But like we see the prodigal son, at some point we need to realize that going back to God is one of the only ways we'll be happy. I wish Jonah had gotten that. You see, Jonah, it's hard to believe that Jonah was the leader of one of the greatest revivals of all time and led by a small, angry preacher that left right after it and sat outside hoping that the city would burn down. I'll read that again. It's hard to believe that one of the greatest revivals of all time was led by a, a smelly, angry preacher that left right, right after the altar call and sat outside hoping that the city would burn down. That's exactly what Jonah did. God is in pursuit of you tonight. When God calls, do you pack for Nineveh? Or do you find yourself buying a ticket to Tarshish? Every head by your eyes closed. Dear Lord, God, thank you for how wonderful your word is. Lord, I pray that.